This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Hello there, how are you going? I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his perspicacious friend, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 132 of The Big Picture for the week beginning November 6. Coming up on today's show... Now, since you're watching it for more than 40 hours a week, we are bringing you on this episode of The Big Picture more TV than you can poke your remote at. Stranger Things 2, Family Food Fight and Westworld and a whole lot more. And hello. Hello, mate. Yes, we thought we would dedicate the vast majority of our show to TV this week, mainly because there's not actually much around movies-wise, is there, at the cinemas? Bite your tongue, my friend. People watch more TV than they do film. But okay, that, that's very true. But usually on the big picture, we at least like talk about some movies around the traps. Indeed but we do, and it is a low week for cinema, but a high week for TV, as you'll soon find out. It is. Despite the fact we are in a little bit of a quieter period at cinemas, there are two notable films coming out this week. One of them is Detroit, which is based on some real events that happened in that American city in 1967, when some police officers went a bit rogue, Mark, and that sparked off citywide riots that sort of closed that city down for three days. The National Guard? were called in. Yeah, is this the one by Catherine Bigelow? Yeah, the director, Catherine Bigelow, who won an Oscar a couple of years ago for The Hurt Locker. She was behind Zero Dark Thirty and also stars Star Wars star, John Boyega. Star Wars star, it's like a mouthful right there. John Boyega, Catherine Bigelow, Detroit, is coming to cinemas this Thursday. And so too is a new version of Murder on the Orient Express, that very famous Agatha Christie novel, now brought to you by director Kenneth Branagh. He's starring as Herquile Poirot. He's starring in it and directing it. There's yeah. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's never happened before in the history of cinema. Um, also in it is everybody from Dame Judi Dench to Johnny Depp and Michelle Pfeiffer. We are going to see that film some point real soon, and then we're going to report back on the show next week of what Murder on the Orient Express is all about. And in the meantime, you'll be looking at your small screen and tell me there are two things that, are, that struck me straight away about this week's schedule that are pretty amazing. The first is that this Tuesday, November 7, on the ABC, 8.30pm, probably one of the most ambitious documentary series I have ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, this is called Keeping Australia Safe. Okay? Right. So what they're going to do is um, this series is going to show you over a period of 48 hours that... 24 government and non-government agencies that are responsible for keeping us safe. So a minute-by-minute sort of thing about what these agencies are doing to keep you safe, even though you're pottering around, just flicking through the channels or watering the plants. These agencies are out there keeping you safe, and we get to see what's going on. Um, l- let me just say the producer's absolutely thrilled about this. Personally, I'm wondering if I'm going to watch somebody making a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> walking and, in. and do you think we're going to end up more terrified or more secure as well, a result of this documentary? Well, I don't know, but I really like the spin-off that Channel 10 is working on, okay? Because uh, Sunday Night Fans Channel 10 will now know that there's a, a television series they've got called The Wisdom of the Crowd, okay? Yeah. Now, this is... If you like, What's, I haven't heard of that. What's I, that? It's if you like the idea of like um, organisations out there trying to keep us safe. Yes. How would you like the idea of everybody with a smartphone trying to keep you safe? 
Oh, as in everybody, like me. Exactly. So this TV series uh, follows this character, Jeffrey Tanner, a Silicon Valley tech innovator, whose daughter was murdered. And so he decides to create this new Uber program where everybody can contribute evidence from across the world to this little app called Sophie, and then they'll solve crimes. But now they start unearthing crimes they didn't even know needed solving. Oh, my goodness me. So if if you've got a whole sort of series of apps to save the world, this might be one of them. If you're into that sort of American TV uh, detective stuff, you'll find it on Network 10. And there's so much more TV that we're going to be talking about to, to, on the big picture, including Westworld, Mark. You'll be uh, bringing us the lowdown on this HBO series, Westworld. That, uh, as the title might suggest, involves cowboys. Now... At this point in the show, we love to bring a true or false quandary to everybody to challenge you about whether you know what I'm about to say is true or false. So challenging li- me mainly. Challenging you mainly <laughs> okay. and everybody else. Yes. Um, that uh, Linking onto the cowboy idea in Westworld, one of the most famous cowboys up on screen was, of course, John Wayne. He made uh, a lazy 162 films, Mark, 162, and most of those were set what in the West. What was he doing West. the rest of the time? <laughs> <laughs> no, can't believe he didn't hit 163. Oh. Um and most of those are set in the Wild West, uh, films like The Searchers and Rio Bravo and True Grit, to name just a few. Now, John Wayne was actually born Marion Robert Morrison, so you can kind of see where he went for a stronger name like John Wayne, Marion Robert Morrison. But he was widely known as Duke. That was his nickname, Duke. The, the Duke. How did he get that nickname? Was it? Here's the true or false. Here are your selections. He was nicknamed after Big Duke, his old family dog. That's one possibility. <laughs> it was a name given to him by director John Ford because Wayne chain-smoked cigarettes by Duke Sons and Company while filming The Searchers with John Ford. Or was it because on set he obsessively listened to the jazz music of legendary Duke Ellington? So, was John Wayne called Duke because of the family dog Big Duke? Because he liked to smoke Duke Sons and Company cigarettes or because on set he obsessively listened to jazz musician Duke Ellington. Oh, I've got an idea, but we'll have to come back and find out. So before I, I post as a true or false about John Wayne, very famous cowboy actor from America, he had a nickname as the Duke. Is that because he was named after the family dog Big Duke? Was it because he smoked Duke Sons and Company cigarettes or because he loved jazz musician Duke Ellington? I reckon he was a true grit cowboy and we're talking about a different age. Age, so it was probably the cigarettes. You'd be wrong. He had oh. a family dog called Big Duke, and uh, he was uh, from a kid called Little Duke, hence being called Duke. There you go. So he was literally like Indiana Jones, named after the dog. Yes. There you go. Well, coming up, more cowboy action as we round up one of the most acclaimed TV series of recent times, Westworld, and a blast from the past with your memories of screen cowboys. Welcome back, cowboys and cowgirls. Yeehaw! The world of entertainment, films, books, TV shows has always been fascinated by characters who live on the edge of society, daring to face the wild world, but able to mix it with normal folks too. And among those outriding characters, there's probably never been a stereotype more celebrated than... The Cowboy. In just a few minutes, we're going to take a look at Westworld, the groundbreaking TV series that gives its characters the chance to live out their Western fantasies. But before we get there, we thought it'd be worth sending Mark off to touch base with the generation of listeners who were the first to thrill to the adventures of those heroes with the spurs, the shooting irons, and the 10-gallon hats. So we're asking people about cowboy in Indian films. It's not a very popular thing now, but did you grow up watching cowboy in Indian films and programs? 
Every Sunday afternoon, I used to watch John Wayne head him off at the pass. Yo. <laughs> what is it that you think people liked, you know, about Cowboys? What was it about that sort of character? I think that the good guys always won in the end. Yeah. I think that was it. And they were rough and tumbled. That They weren't perfect characters. Um, and they rode off into the sunset. Was it popular watching Cowboy and Indian films when you were growing up? Definitely, yes. And the serials on radio. Okay, so on radio as well, what do you think it was about cowboys that young boys growing up liked? Well, I think in in those days, in my case, living in the bush, it was not all that different, really, to the way we lived, around horses and (laughs) things like that. Oh, guns, I think. Yes, definitely guns. Uh, Second World War, it was all around you, you know, and you wanted to be part of it. So, yeah, and of course you could use your hand as a gun very easily by pointing your finger and things like that because money wasn't very um, readily available, shall I say. Yeah. So you had to make things do. Sort of. Did you watch cowboy and Indian films? I did. Uh, we, used to go, we used to go fairly regularly to the theatre because they, they, were used to, they used to run serials. So, of course, we had to go next week to see whether he really, he really got away with it or not. <laughs> so they'd do a film and then they'd leave you with a cliffhanger? Indeed, yeah. yeah. I loved it. I really loved it. And I looked forward to it. And particularly the Indian side of things. I, I was always on their side, not on the, on the white men taking their territory. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you were, even then you sort of felt a keen sense of social justice towards the poor? I was, but not, not recognised by a young child, you know, I mean, because I was only probably about ten. You know, so that's how it went, you know. What did you think of the cowgirl characters? Were they very interesting? No, they weren't interesting to me at all. (laughs) (laughs) So did you watch cowboy and Indian films when you were growing up? I sure did. What were, do you remember some of the titles or some of the favourite heroes that you had? Yeah. Oh, there used to be Rin Tin Tin, uh, the Lone Ranger, or the Lone Stranger as we used to call him. Uh, yeah, those, those type of movies, yeah. Uh, Bonanza. Did you play Cowboys and Indians oh, yeah, as kids? Yeah. We had a garage down the road, uh, and when all the lorries and trucks were out, uh, we used to go in there and play Cowboys and Indians, because they had a big wooden gate that you can shut. So the cowboys were in the fort, and the Indians were outside, and yeah, it was good fun, good fun. Yeah. They've kind of died out now. Why do you think they've died out? Oh, maybe political correctness. Uh, you know, the, the Lone Ranger and his friend Tonto. It's probably not politically correct to have a Tonto these days, you know, and, and all that type of thing. What is it about cowboys that make them such a, an attractive character back then? Uh, they were powerful. It was an exciting time. There were lots of morals and values involved, too. Why do you think they've dried out? I mean, there's not that many cowboy and Indian films now. Because, for a start, horses have been replaced by horsepower. I mean, now I'm going to do the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> okay. Here on The Big Picture this week, we're talking an awful lot about TV, are we not, Mark? We That's are indeed, indeed, because you are watching an awful amount of TV. Well, uh, not awful, <laughs> a, a considerable amount. If you consider f- 40 hours a week on average an awful amount, then, yeah, that's that's pretty awful. I consider that an investment. That's, that's an investment, <laughs> particularly when you get to talk about it like we do here on The Big Picture. And the next TV series we're about to talk about, well, a lot of people have been talking about this. There have been some amazingly detailed and incredibly imaginative stories emerging from American entertainment industry over the past three years, and some of the most memorable have nothing to do with Hollywood, as in nothing to do with the big screen, nothing to do with movies. Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, House of Cards, and of course, 
new TV series, Westworld. Westworld is what happens when TV producers wonder what it would be like if we could take a holiday in a place that would allow us to play cowboy, but wear black hats as well and work out our worst inclinations with no consequences at all. Do you know where you are? I'm in a dream. You're in my dream. I designed every part of this place. Not a theme park, but an entire world. You and everyone you know were built to gratify the desires of the people who pay to visit your world. Just don't forget, they're not real. Based on the 1973 film Westworld, which was written and directed by Michael Crichton. You remember Michael Crichton? I do. Jurassic Park, yes. Congo, The Sphere, Twister. He wrote Twister. Okay. Yeah, okay. So you've basically got a futuristic author producing an idea of what would happen to entertainment if we were allowed to just do what we wanted in a mm-hmm. world populated by yeah, robots. Yeah, that original film. It's great. Well, it was turned very much into a, a groundbreaking TV series. The story takes place in this fictional Westworld, a lovingly recreated model of America's Wild West that stretches for hundreds of miles. It's also a technologically advanced amusement park because all of the characters in it are androids who are playing key roles in a list of potential adventures you can kind of get involved in. Or human beings who are visiting the park, who are basically high-paying guests, can follow those adventures or put them to the side and instead create their own adventure, choose to do whatever they want, but basically without any fear of retaliation. So it tends to bring out the worst in people sometimes as they want wander around Westworld shooting people just because they can. Now, the the interesting thing is the park works like any other park. At the end of the day, they pick up all the pieces, they clean everything up, and they start again the next day. And that includes the androids who get wiped and repositioned and ready to start their storyline. But what if the androids start remembering what happened yesterday and the day before and the day before? Uh, Is it, in fact, the emergence of new life or is it some dastardly plan by somebody else who has an agenda for the park, for Westworld itself? Thrilling series, great to watch. Now, the reason we're talking about Westworld is because it's come out on Blu-ray and DVD. I don't think it's on any streaming services. Maybe it's on... Is it on Foxtel? No, not yet. No. Um, But it's also on... And I guess this is... The signs of the times too. It's also coming out on uh, 4K Ultra HD now. So this is Ultra I mean, HD because people have Ultra HD TVs. Yeah, right. Now um, I know, um, like a lot of people, Mark, you have been uh, very struck by this show, uh, talking a lot about it. And when you've been talking to me about it, one of the things you noted was the production values of the show, as in. The shorthand for that is all the money that was pumped into the show, and you can see it up on screen. You've been very impressed with how the look and feel of this show. Absolutely, uh, I feel we are personally in the golden age of television. I mean, you can you can't um, throw a remote in any particular direction without hitting a five star television show. Uh, and basically, you are seeing film in real danger these days of being upstaged because TV is no longer the poor cousin. For a start, um, think of the actors that are going into these series. In Westworld, you've got Anthony Hopkins. I thought that was the voice of. Anthony Anthony Hopkins Anthony in Hopkins? that clip we played? Luke Hemsworth. As in Australian Luke Hemsworth. Four brother of bro- isn't there. That, that's Chris Hemsworth. And, and his brother. And his brother Luke. <laughs> not Sorry, to be Luke. confused. Luke from the Hunger Games series. Indeed. And Tessa Thompson. Also starring with Chris Hemsworth at the moment in Thor Ragnarok. Maybe yeah. that's why you're getting confused. That's where I'm getting confused. And Ed Harris. Ed Harris, great actor. Oh, so they're all, I mean, these names are A-list names. Yes. And there they are in TV. Yes. Uh, and there are huge budgets. There's... The first series of Westworld, they spent a hundred million on it. That's ten million an episode. Oh, okay, that for- is like a movie budget. Yeah, it is. 
it is. It, and that's the amazing thing about it. They're getting Golden Globes. They're picking up all sorts of nominations. And season two is now coming out. That's the ultimate commendation. They're being picked up for another run. Their storylines are much longer, much more developed. The characters become much more interesting. In 2018, we're going to see more and more of it. Yeah, which is exactly why I think so many people are tuning in more and more to TV. Now, Mark, uh, as you already hinted at when you were describing what's going on in Westworld, um, there's obviously dangers uh, coming to... When you're watching Westworld, there's obviously dangers coming in terms of what's going to happen in the show and what's being revealed in the show. I'm interested in this idea of treating people like commodities and what Westworld, how Westworld presents that and the danger of that, oh, of right, treating okay. people like commodities. The idea of uh, the androids basically being able to to be moved around, used however yes. people decide. Yeah. Well, yeah. What happens in Westworld about that? Well, I mean, it really is a moral quandary because you've got this sort of situation where people are uh, using, for all intents and purposes, other people for their pleasure, whether it be violent pleasures or sexual pleasures or, or just to fill out their own personal dreams. Mm. Uh, and there is a lot that comes into that that I should say right now makes Westworld an edgy series, okay? So if you're thinking, oh, Cowboys and Indians is a wonderful show to introduce the kids to, no, okay? The the sexual content in this is probably at the level of Game of Thrones. Oh, right. So okay. strong. Well, I, don't mean, I don't mean like season one and two of Game of Thrones, but more like as it, Game of Thrones has gone on to be. But anyway, the violence is definitely the same sort of thing, like The Walking Dead. Okay, TV in, has grown up and become these massive high-budget productions, but also has picked up some of the film's bad habits, if you like. You know, there's a lot of content that you've got to be very, very careful of, and especially as these characters go around abusing other people in Westworld, the worst in human nature comes out. But So this is a cautious recommendation from you, but what lingers with you most about watching Westworld? And like, So why would you cautiously recommend someone check this out? Well, I think for a start, it actually tells you a lot about human beings, okay? Because uh, the interesting thing about human beings is we have only ever been able to do the most terrible things in history to each other once we've defined the other person as inhuman. Mm, okay? mm, I know, so, I see what you're yeah, saying, yeah. You see, if you go into history, you look at, look, you define Jews in Nazi Germany as inhuman and you can behave inhumanly towards them. Yeah. Or go back further, you go yeah. to the slave trade, you define uh, Africans as inhuman and therefore you can actually create the slave trade. Yeah. Treat if, them if you treat someone as not a human, then they're you can treat them as not a human. Exactly. And so Westworld actually puts that question right in front of us and says, are we really above it? Have we become that civilised? If we could play with the lives of human-looking things, if we could define them as inhuman, uh, even though they, they look and feel and act just like us, if we can define them as inhuman, won't we just do the whole thing again and again? Uh, and that's a really interesting question because it gets right at the idea that we are basically faulted, given the opportunity human beings will do what is wrong because it pleases them to do so. And so, yeah, Westworld is an eye-opener, not only entertaining but also informative. Be careful, as Mark said, there is a lot of gritty stuff in Westworld that won't suit all adults, and certainly not kids. The first season is rightly rated MA15+, plus for strong themes, violence, sex scenes, and nudity. It has It is releasing on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD on November 8th.
Well, coming up, the soundtrack to a riot and 2017's most anticipated TV series return, Stranger Things. It's back, we've seen it, and we'll let you know what it's worth. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. This coming week sees the release of a new film from multi-award winning director Catherine Bigelow, the storytelling genius behind Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. Her new film, Detroit, is about the 1967 riots that erupted in that city when a group of rogue policemen decide to take the law into their own hands. Well, we haven't got time to review Detroit this week, but we thought you'd enjoy sampling some of what's standing up to be an incredible soundtrack, including Heaven Must Have Sent You by the Elgins. Heaven Must Have Sent You, number nine on America's Billboard magazine charts. Uh, And it's a cool piece of music, not because it's featured in lots of films. I mean, this is the interesting thing. If you were going to basically do a film that was set in the 60s, you can do the lazy thing like, oh, okay, it's the 60s, let's play A Whiter Shade of Pale or My Girl, you know, the big chill soundtrack, anyone? (laughs) That sort of stuff. Very famous songs from the 60s, yep. But good soundtracks don't do reruns. You know, they unearth genuine period pieces that no one's heard in decades and give them a new lease on life, which is what I think Catherine Bigelow has basically done with Like Heaven Must Have Sent You. (laughs) 
further into our show about all things TV that we're doing this week, Mark, because there's so much notable TV out there, including Netflix TV series Stranger Things. Now, that the first season of that show was the little series that could last year, the sci-fi thriller about kids cycling around the little town of Hawkins, and it made a big stir among critics and audiences alike. I guess it was... Yeah, inevitable is the right word. It was... It was... Of course it was inevitable that its creators, the Duffer Brothers, would be back for round two. Always going to happen. And now season two is here. It picks up a year after the events of the first series. The monster from the alternate dimension, the Upside Down, was banished. But a familiar cast of good guys and bad guys are back with an even bigger problem. These are not nightmares. It's happening. And it all leads back to here. This thing. You said it was all in his head. And what have you done? Nothing. What is wrong with my boy? Twelve months later, families and relationships have been restored since a select group of characters fought off the monster from the upside-down dimension, but the doors to that creepy version of the planet Earth are still open, and so Will, the boy who disappeared in the first season, is now flashing back into that alternate world every now and again, perceiving a whole new monster that's bigger and badder than ever before, and it seems that Hawkins is about to become awash with psychics too, from that secret laboratory working on the edge of town, the Hawkins laboratory. Elle is back, 11, with another girl who's turned up. She, Another girl's also turned up who's got telepathy, and she's using it as a foundation for a crime wave. So every little bit of conspiracy and alternate dimension horror and all sorts of things is all circling around this real town of Hawkins, and I'm sure the real estate value is just plummeting. Now, Mark, already on the big picture, we've talked about uh, Family Food Fight and The Wall and Westworld. If you missed those earlier reviews, check us out on the podcast and you can hear all that goodness that just came before. But we've hit the point in the show we're talking about Stranger Things, mainly because loads of people are talking about Stranger Things, like across the planet. One of the biggest shows in the last couple of years has been Stranger Things, this Netflix series. Mark, straight off the bat, is Stranger Things Season 2 likely to be as big as the first series. I think it's going to be exactly as big exactly. as the first series. <laughs> right to a precise, precise. degree. Okay, it Basically because it's very, very similar. Firstly, you've got the same range of characters, the boy Will and his friends Mike and Dustin and Lucas doing that whole cycling around town. There's lots of bike riding round so, and round the town. So like loads of 80s. This, this show is a very uh, big 80s nostalgia piece, isn't it? This yeah. is already reminiscent of E.T. and the Goonies when you Indeed. just describe riding bikes and the, around so suburbia, the Duffer, America. The Duffer brothers said they were, they were inspired by Spielberg as well as Stephen King. And you get a lot of the sense of that 80s uh, thrill and horror going on together as they sort of look through the town. Winona Ryder's back as his mum, Joyce David Harbour, as police chief Jim Hopper. And the same 80s setting lovingly created The Terminator is playing at the local cinema. <laughs> um, you've got video games like Ms. Pac-Man playing. You've got returned characters, more secret government agencies. Even the relationship tension is back for all, a lot of the key characters. Basically, it is season one just with a new monster. Uh, I guess if you love the first series, you're going to love this one as well. 
it's strangely familiar. Yeah. Now, um, given it's been so big, Mark, and it is uh, based around a bunch of kids getting up to what they're getting up to in a suburban town in America, 80s nostalgia, all these things combined, it's no surprise that a lot of kids are watching the show. How do you feel about kids watching this? Because I know it's not explicitly pitched at kids. It's more for adults who are like reminiscing about the 80s, but a lot of younger viewers are watching this. How do you feel about that? Well, I feel really weird about Stranger Things basically because, like you said, it's got the shape of a lot of classic kids' films, which a lot of people who grew up in the 80s will recognise and enjoy. Now, as adults, we're being nostalgic, but I've got... It's a live issue in my house. I've got young teenage boys who are saying, well, can I watch this, Dad? This looks really, really cool. Because all their mates are talking about it at school. And also because they're sort of responding to the same sort of things we responded to when we watched E.T. and when we watched The Goonies and things yes, like that. Yes. You know, And the problem is this series starts off okay, just like the first series. The second series starts off okay, but it gets increasingly horror-bound as it moves on. So more horror elements turn up the longer much this, this more season so. two goes on. Much more. I mean, it starts with shocks, but then it gets onto some quite gruesome things that start happening. And you realise after a while, somewhere around midway through the series, that this is not for kids, which is a bit of a problem because you probably had them sitting next to you the entire time for the first four or five episodes till it started to get quite gruesome. And that's what I worried about in season one, and that's what I'm worried about in season two. So I would hesitantly say... I don't think this is one for kids. Now, but you are a big fan of the show, season one and season two. You've liked what you've seen in season two. But is there anything else that stands out to you as a point of concern or something you'd warn viewers about before they head into this world again? You're absolutely right. I really do like this series. Um, and I think it's great, thrilling watch. My wife and I enjoying watching it together. But if there's one thing I really don't like about this series, it has to be basically the idea that you've got... Um, deception undergirding every stage of the plot. Now, I'm not trying to say that, you know... That, it's that all would, lies! Yeah, I'm not trying to say that, that wouldn't be a natural thing to have in a plot device. But basically, if anyone at any point decided to tell the truth... The entire plot would grind to a halt. Someone <laughs> There'd would just, be no show if someone, someone told would the just, truth. W- someone would turn up with a tank, deal with the bad monster, and that'd be the end of it. You know, it's uh, the weird thing is that though everybody justifies telling their lies because it's better for everyone if we do lie. And I take issue with this. I mean, governments are lying because they say it's better for the public if they do. Um, mums are lying because they're saying it's better for their children if they do. Uh, in relationships, you know, those lovers are lying to each other because it's better for them if I do. And I want to question if it was ever better to lie to someone. Um, This is just a subtle thing that washes through an otherwise great series that there are good reasons to lie. And I'm not sure there are. I like Jesus. His approach is basically, um, look, it is too important not to tell the truth. If it is serious, you really should tell the truth. Jesus as a character, not only as a character in history, but as a real person, really did amaze us by the fact that he was never prepared to pull his punches because it was too important. So if people are going to hell, he would say, you're going to hell. Jesus speaks more about hell than any other character in the Bible. And to me, that sort of courage to tell the truth is actually more amazing and more thrilling and strange these days, you know, then there is actually the idea of, well, lying is best for everybody else. Wow. The untruths point you back to the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus. All eight episodes of Stranger Things Season 2 are streaming now on Netflix, as most of the world would already know. It's rated M. Beware the monsters, but hurry. Most of the drama and danger might soon evaporate if someone just decided to tell the truth, as Mark reminded us of.
Now, we'll stick with us for a funny furry finale to the show. Radio personality Laura Bennett reveals the top five films she wants to show her puppy Toby. (laughs) Hot dog. Welcome back. Here at The Big Picture, we love talking about movies and TV shows from a Christian standpoint. Go to thebigpicturewebsite.com for the vast back catalogue of all the various movies and TV shows that we've talked about in the last couple of years. Use it as a resource, if you like, for thinking a little bit deeper about pop culture. Some of the things that we get to produce here at The Big Picture include video content each week, and that goes out in a variety of places, such as eternitynews.com.au. Mark, one of the videos that you created recently, I was really struck by, you were responding to the recent massive worldwide scandal going on in out of Hollywood, particularly around a legend, legendary producer Harvey Weinstein and his sexual misconduct. The video, your reflection on that was was really quite. Uh, I'm still trying to get my head around your thoughts on that, but I was very struck by it. Yeah, I and mean, basically, I'm saying that uh, people are shocked and horrified, as they should be, by Harvey Weinstein's behaviour, and in fact, other prominent members of Hollywood and their behaviour. But, but you're also saying we shouldn't be so surprised by yeah, it. Yeah, I know. That's the weird thing. You see, we've actually created a culture in the entertainment industry whereby which people are actually encouraged to sexualise their work. Encouraged. And, and encouraged to create increasingly sexualised content. I mean, if you think about it... Where's the, the encouragement? Well, the acting process itself is debunked for a start. Um, you've actually got people who are being asked... I mean, if their job is literally to go to work, to get their gear off and to act, quote-unquote, uh, in front of lots of people, uh, mm-hmm. like full studio crews, and then to do it over and over again... Why are we surprised then that we're creating an environment where people have desensitized sex, where the people in that industry themselves might actually be devaluing it? Well, it's just a thing that I see at work. and We're I treating can... it as commodity or as power. Exactly. And that end, I mean, I've spoken to one of the documentaries I did was actually on the nature of success in the United States. And I remember talking to an actor and saying to him, look, you know, um, what's the process of getting real roles in Hollywood? And he said, well, I've often got roles because people liked me. And I mean, liked with the air quotes, you know, and you understand too that it's become part of the industry. And to me, I think that we've really got to think about our role in this. Us, as yeah. it, well, I mean, the viewer. Well, basi- me, basically, me. because we're the ones who are paying for the industry. Okay, we're the ones who are, on the one hand, criticizing the terrible behaviour, terrible, and of people terrible. like Harvey Weinstein, yes. no doubt, and then at the same time going off and seeing highly sexualized content, paying for DVD series, buying. T- it's lining up for the next, you know, comedy erotic romp or something like that, or the rom-com that has the ubiquitous and essential sex scene. Um, I don't know. We've got to develop a much more broad approach to this if we're going to be people with integrity in this community. Anyway, I'll talk more about that on video. If you'd like to go see it, go to attorneynews.com.au. Okay, Mark, we are at the big finale of the show, the top five on the big picture. And this week, something different. We've got radio personality Laura Bennett about to join us on the line because she pitched to us an excellent idea, did she not? She wanted to talk to us about a top five films to introduce a loved one to. It is awesome to that watch movies awesome with loved thing. ones. And Laura, thank you very much for being on the show. No worries. Thank you, guys. Now, your particular loved one, can you just tell us who your loved one is? <laughs> so it's Toby. You're going to be showing movies to Toby. Great. Well, yes, his name is Toby, but yep. don't think this is like a tall, dark, handsome Italian gentleman that I'm sharing my Friday nights with. No, 
It is, in fact, my puppy. So he's a cavalier cocker spaniel. Okay. Yeah, no, he's no. dark and tan, but uh, that's about it. I, I actually, I know, I appreciate that's this. That's an awesome because idea. Because as listeners of the big picture will know, I am quite an opponent to people interrupting while you're watching something. And I'm pretty certain that Toby is like my cat, Luca, um, who is the quietest member of the house. Watch I love watching films with Luca. You well, know, yeah. Never, never questions my opinion. All right. So, like, without any further ado, let's get into it. Five. Okay, so the first film that I want to take Toby to actually watch is one that's going to set him up to know that he's valued as my pet, that I love him, that I'd do anything for him. It is Marley and Me. Aww. The ultimate family story of how a pet fits into your world. And, look, I won't spoil any endings, but we know that there is, there is all the emotion involved of being a, a pet lover in this film. And you really have to, I guess... As any pet owner asks themselves the question, how much would I do for my pet if they needed me? And I think Toby needs to know that I would do a lot for him. Can, did- I, can I just ask, will, will you be sitting there with clinics? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so will Toby, Toby. require this? Or, or is, he, is he going to... Uh, have you ever seen a dog cry? Are dogs even capable of crying? Oh, they, they're ha- capable of howling. They show emotion in their howl, Mark. You should know this. Oh, okay. And not a, I'm not a dog owner, person. But, yeah, okay. So um, he'll kind of howl and slobber, and that's yes. basically what you're going to have the tissues And he'll give for. me cuddles. Look, that's the point. Like, Toby's oh. bred to be a lap dog, so he's going to come up and sit next to me on his little mat and snuggle and just comfort me as I watch this film with him. Uh, <laughs> my that, my wife said that about me. She said I was bred to be a lap dog. <laughs> right, so so that at number five, a slightly comforting yet manipulative choice in Marley and Me. So coming in number four. Four. This is for when Toby gets lost because he has a personality trait that sees him run out the front door if you open it every now and again. Like if you have Toby, Toby, him, Toby, come on, mate. Exactly. If you haven't walked him for the week and he sees like the bright sunshine outside, he just wants to run. But I want him to know that he's always got a home to come back to. So I'm going to have him watch Homeward Bound. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. Is that Disney movie from, is it from the 80s or the 90s? Oh, yeah, it's it's early childhood. So there, there, so far there early is... Early childhood for, for some, of, for some <laughs> Laura, for some. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a, like, a reminiscent kind of nostalgic experience in this movie. I thought it was which... a dating film for my wife and I, but don't worry. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the thrust of Homeward Bound? So the, this little boy and his family, they, they get these new pets and they love them. And then, obviously, they, they move house and then the dogs get lost in the mix. And it's not just the dog, it's like the family pets. And then they have to find their way back after he's moved. And it's like, do your, do your dogs know you well enough? Do your pets know you well enough to be able to find you? If there is separation between man and his best friend, will they be reunited? And I want Toby to know that, like, yes, we can actually find each other if he ever runs away too far. So it's like Toy Story for pets. Yeah, kind of. Exactly. Well said. Can right. you just give him a mobile phone? <laughs> <laughs> Three. So we need to go deep with the third one. Because okay, okay. When we, introduce, when we introduce anyone to film, they need to know that there is some hard-hitting, emotional kind of movies that happen. Toby, Toby needs to know it's not just all hugs and, and you know, biscuits and treats so, and occasional walks. So you'll be showing him traffic. No, or something like that. Exactly. So we're going to go and see Silver Linings Playbook. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Has that got a dog in it? I can't, I can't remember. All your other choices have had dogs so far. <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook actually got a dog? Not that I'm aware of, okay? And do you think Toby will respond to a non-dog movie? Well, I hope 
so. I mean, he serves his humans. So if he is, like, if his taste in humans in us is anything to go by, then he should be okay with watching like real movie human drama. Which, okay. And you've got, you know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence in this one, and it's her Oscar-winning role. I think it's a good one to choose. And of course, it's very heartfelt, and there is a lot of bigger picture messages in this one about the relationships that we form. And so I feel like Toby's going to go deep end with me on that one. Uh, you think you want him to identify you as Jennifer Lawrence, don't you, Laura? Come oh, yeah, on. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie. That is, that would actually be very flattering. Let's go with that. Good idea. <laughs> okay, so when do you think he's going to be old enough to watch The Hurt Locker? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I yeah, I don't know if anyone is is old enough to watch that. I think I still have like scars from that movie, but it was brilliant. So there's scars worth having. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay, we went deep at number 3. <laughs> 2. What are you going to do for number two, Laura? Okay, so this is in the comical world of movies and something to let Toby know that a relationship with film is long-lasting, it's tumultuous, it's up and down, but it's a lot of fun. 500 Days of Summer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If only for the dance sequence (laughs) through the park. Yeah. That's my favourite bit. And uh, Toby is one for dancing and fun and frivolity. So I think he needs to know that, that life can be better than working in a card factory when you find romance. Ah, you're right. Because <laughs> so that's Toby's every life, dog's yeah, life. No, Toby's life like, loosely resemble the character that Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays in 500 Days of Summer? I think so, because if you've not seen it, he's a guy that has such emotional ups and downs, Needs he needs attention, and he always switches and changes between who he wants that affection from. So... Look, maybe that is like Toby. He's only faithful to the person that feeds him. <laughs> oh, well, maybe you're sending him a message. Here. <laughs> Persist in this relationship, Toby, and there's a future, but if not... Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't, kind of, I'm worried for his psychological sort of bearings after I've gone on this list with him. Okay, Laura Bennett, for this amazing top five of movies that you want to introduce your dog, Toby, to. So at number five, we had Marley and Me. Then we went to Homeward Bound, Silver Linings Playbook, and 500 Days of Summer. What will you do to top this all off? One. Could it be anything other than the greatest dog movie ever made, Beethoven? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Don't you think, will Toby get a little bit of uh, dog envy, though? Will he aspire to be as big as Beethoven? <laughs> he can aspire as much as he likes, but I think he's full grown now, so he's not going to get there. But his paws are just as cute and just as soft, and <laughs> I don't care how much mess Toby makes, I'm still going to love him, which is the one message to be drawn from Beethoven, I think. Yeah, because Beethoven basically tears his owner's house apart. Yeah, yeah. He's not the most well-behaved dog, but the kitties love him and he would do anything for them. So this is the, the ultimate film in relationship between man and dog. And I guess we're going from the kids' perspective in Beethoven because Steve Martin's dad character, not so pleased about the whole thing, but the kids love it. Okay, so let me see if I can get this right. And Toby, I hope you're listening. You're allowed to tear the house apart so long as you give Laura a lick every now and again. <laughs> Yes, that is the ultimate conclusion. And Laura, how does the rest of the family feel about this? Oh yeah, the rest of the family may not be so pleased with the whole idea, but if Toby and I are best friends, then whatever. Okay. They can clean up the mess. Okay, Toby, this one's for you. And number one on Laura's list of movies that she really wants to show you, Beethoven. Thanks, Beethoven. You saved my life. But you better go home now. Mom said to stay in the backyard. You kids might be interested to know that I am a featured performer Saturday nights at the Padded Zebra. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Emily's in the pool! The pool? Emily! What are you doing in the pool, young lady? Get out of there this instant! You want to get me into trouble? Oh, Emily, are you all right? I fell in. Oh, Emily, you must have been so scared. I thought I was going to die. 
Uh, now, what I really want to see is Toby pulling Laura out of a pool, saving her <laughs> life. <laughs> I think he will be so inspired after Laura Bennett's top five movies she wants to show to her dog, Toby. Awesome list and great way to finish off this show. Coming up on the show next week, though, Mark. The disturbing real-life origin story of Wonder Woman. Of Wonder Woman? I thought we already had that, but there's oh, another no. movie coming. And as a new parent, it is my duty to share with us all what the Wiggles are still up to. And an old... Oh, sorry. And an all-new, old-fashioned crime caper with Murder on the Orient Express. Toot toot, I will be Ben McKechnie next week. And I'll be Mark Hadley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.